The Bradford Exchange presents The Classic Radio Theater with your host, Carl Amari. Countdown for blast off. X minus one. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. Richard Diamond, private detective. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Suspense. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Dragnet. We offer you escape. Kraft presents the Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. The Jack Benny Program. Welcome, everyone, to episode 41 of the Classic Radio Theater. Each week, the Bradford Exchange and participating sponsors bring you three hours of the Classic Radio Theater, featuring programming from the golden age of radio. This time, we'll hear two comedy episodes of The Bickersons, starring Don Amici and Francis Langford from 1947. We'll begin after this short break. The characters of John and Blanche Bickerson were created by Phil Rapp. They lived up to their name, exchanging verbal crossfire that was sharp, quick, and always hit the mark. A radio comedy consisting of a married couple arguing in short skits fared well and provided comic relief on a variety of programs. Initially heard as brief sketches, the Bickersons eventually evolved into a weekly half-hour sitcom. With real bite in the dialogue and the husband usually getting the short end of the stick, the battle of the sexes was never more fun. John, a bowling ball salesman by occupation, was a member of the Bourbon of the Month Club and suffered from a chronic case of snoring. Blanche, an insomniac, usually managed to wake him in the small hours and the arguments would begin. John and Blanche were introduced to radio audiences in 1946 on The Dream Show, starring Danny Thomas. Don Amici and Francis Langford would play the bickering couple for a brief sketch, and on a number of occasions, Thomas also played the role of Blanche's obnoxious brother Amos. A year later, the wearing pair starred in The Old Gold Show, named for its sponsor, Old Gold Cigarettes. Subsequently, Blanche and John became a weekly feature on The Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy Show, with Hollywood actress Marsha Hunt temporarily replacing Francis Langford. The characters returned in 1951, starring Lou Parker as John, with Francis Langford as Blanche. Attempts to adapt the characters for television were unsuccessful, but some experts believe that Married with Children was based on The Bickersons. Time now for the first of two comedy episodes of The Bickersons, starring Don Amici and Francis Langford. In this first story, Blanche has loaned John's new fishing pole to her deadbeat brother Amos to clean a drain. Here's The Bickersons from March 30th, 1947. From Hollywood, it's dream time. Ladies and gentlemen, the makers of Dream Shampoo are pleased to present the 16th in a series of new programs produced by Carlton Alsop and starring Don Amici. Let me sleep, will you, Blanche? Francis Langford. John, I'll go insane if you don't stop that snoring. Annie Thomas. It's a free country. I'm a citizen. And Carmen Dragon and his orchestra. And here is your host for the evening, Don Amici. Don Amici. 
you, ladies and gentlemen, and good evening. Hello, Don. Hello, Francis. I've been meaning to tell you something for a long time. When I look at you, I see the brush of Raphael kissing canvas with your likeness. It's a divine sonnet of love written by Shakespeare. Such a lovely comparison and so literary. Who can be worthy of such words? The way I really feel about you is beyond words. For instance, just look out of that window. Do you see those two robins on that branch with their beaks together? What do you suppose they're thinking about? Worms. <laughs> Why, Danny, Danny Thomas. Oh, Danny, please. Please, why must you always be so horribly present at the wrong times? Until you came along, I was having a purely intellectual conversation with a charming girl. Look, I happen to be an expert on the subject. I've got plenty of girls, haven't I? You have? Certainly. I even write my diary two weeks in advance. <laughs> that may be so, but right now you're reading my diary over my shoulder. Meaning? It so happens that Francis only goes out with certain persons. Well? Who's certain you're a person? <laughs> well, you've made your little speech, now I'll continue mine. As I was about to say, Francis, I wish you'd come over to my house tonight. Oh, I'm on to your game, Don. Trying to cut me out with Francis by discussing high-class subjects. Now, wait just a you're minute. You're nothing but a slick, sneaking, slinking slicker. Now, you can't say I'm a sneaking, slickling, sneaking, slicker, sneaking, slicker. <laughs> Neither can you. <laughs> and let me tell you something. Now, just a minute. Before you jump to any conclusions, I think you should know that I have found in Francis a kindred spirit, a true connoisseur of art. You see, Francis, I have a Picasso in my den and a Rembrandt in my living room, and I think the place can take one more painting. How about something in oil for your dining room? Why don't you get a can of sardines? <laughs> Please don't discuss things above your intellectual level. Don't be so harsh with him, Don. Maybe he does appreciate art. It so happens I do, Don. I saw the paintings in your house, and I liked them. Oh, well, thanks. I especially like the one in your living room, the three musketeers. But tell me, is the fellow in the middle supposed to have a mustache? Why, that's D'Artagnan. Certainly he's supposed to have a mustache. Ooh, I'm terribly sorry. What for? I erased it. <laughs> oh, but I can paint it back oh, on. Oh, there's no use losing my temper. I guess you just can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. Oh, wait, I, I wouldn't say that. Remember, Don... When you met me, you won a friend. That ought to teach me not to gamble. <laughs> Francis, will you sing something to soothe my shattered nerves? Certainly, Don. This can't be love because I feel so well. No sobs, no sorrows, no sighs. This can't be love. I get no dizzy spell. My head not in the skies My heart does not stand still Just hear it beat This is too sweet to be loved This can't be loved because I feel so well But still I love to look in your eyes Not stand still, just hear it beat. This is too sweet to be loved. This can't be loved because I feel so well, but still I love to love. Love to look in your eyes. 
son, Toby, and Francis, your song was so delightful that I'm not even mad at Danny anymore. You really are a bit impatient with him at times. Well, it's his own fault. If he were only more conversant with the arts, we'd have more in common. He was merely trying to be helpful when he erased that mustache. Oh, it's not just paintings. If he'd read some good literature occasionally, it'd help him socially. Don, not only do I read good literature, I even write it. You can't even write your own name. Hmm. What did you ever write? By last week alone, I typed 800 pages in one day. Sent it to the editor of a national magazine. 800 pages in one day? Right. Why, that's fantastic. That's funny. That's what the editor said when he tried to read what I typed. <laughs> but that doesn't mean I don't appreciate good literature. Well, apparently you don't benefit by what you read. It's because of my system. What system? I always read the first few pages of a book. Then I read the last few pages. Then I start in the middle and read toward whichever end I like the best. <laughs> Francis, what were we talking about? Literature. And incidentally, I just read a wonderful book, Swan's Way by Proust. Oh, my uncle read that book. What does that make you? His nephew. <laughs> now, don't you think we should be more tolerant and sympathetic? Perhaps fiction doesn't interest him. He may be stimulated by philosophy. Philosophy, that's a funny thing. You know, Francis, when I was five years old, I came home with a volume of Plato under my arm. Five years? Weren't you a little young for Plato? After all, does a kid know what he's stealing? <laughs> Francis, may I see you for a minute alone? But wait a minute. How do you like that? Walked away from me. Big shot intellect. Thinks he's smarter than me. He's just lucky. He was born with a brain. <laughs> can't even write your name, he says to me. I should have said, I can't do write my name, I should have said. Maybe not from memory, but... <laughs> if you knew more about the arts, we'd have more in common, he says. I should have said, listen, you're a stupid, ignorant baboon, and I'm your equal, I should have said. <laughs> Suppose I'm not as well-read as he is. What does that make me, the schnook in a month? <laughs> I should have said. I should have said, I'll say it. It's a free country. I'm a citizen. Hey, Don. Don. Yeah, 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 Danny. Don't get excited. I'm here. I insist that you revise your opinion of me. You're not being fair. I happen to have a reason for not being literary. I'm listening. Well, when I was seven years old, I took Little Women out of the library. It was my first book. And I've regretted it ever since. Why? Why? Today I'm $6,482 overdue on my library card. I'm a slow reader. And that's why I'm convinced that being a patron of the arts is very costly. Danny, Danny, art doesn't have a material side. The great masters were guided by their spirits, not their stomachs. Van Gogh, for instance. He lived in a desolate cabin without plumbing, lights, or ventilation. His roof leaked and his walls were caving in. What would you do if you lived in a place like that? I'd rent it for $500 a month. <laughs> Oh, Danny, why do you always treat serious subjects so lightly? Don, you think I'm intellectually unequipped? Definitely. That I just want to have a comic touch? You try. Hmm. Don't be surprised to learn that I am hipped. On what? Artistry, philosophy, and such. Mm -hmm. But the greatest bit of philosophy that I know was told to me in Trinidad by my friend Calypso Joe. What did he say? Listen. A joke is a thing that amuses many folks. They have fun. So I will continue to tell my little jokes. Like this one. Mrs. Jones had triplets one day. Two weeks later, she had twins, they say. 
Don't think that your hearing has been double-crossed. It happens that one of the triplets got lost. <laughs> now, here is a thing that has a comical slant. It appears my uncle has been married to his wife, my aunt. Thirty years, thirty years now, that's a long time. And to me, my uncle is so blind. He says his romancing has never grown dim. If his wife finds out, I know she will kill him. Of course, there is no perfect marriage hmm, that I know in this life. I'll soon be divorced by Mrs. Calypso Joe. That's my wife. She said that she is through with me. And a bachelor is no thing to be. So I'll marry her sister. I'll tell you what for. I don't have to break in a new mother-in-law. <laughs> Her sister and I, we will never, never part. We agree. The day I proposed to her, I was in her heart. Only me. I was feeling so all alone. So I called her on the telephone. I said, will you marry me? It will be bliss. She quickly said, yes, I would love to. Who's this? <laughs> Our glamorous dream girl, Frances Langford, joins Carmen Dragon and his orchestra as she sings Night and Day. When the jungle shadows fall Like the tick-tick-tock of the stately clock As it stands against the wall Like the drip-drip-drip of the raindrops When the summer shower is through So a voice within me In the roaring traffic 
silence of my lonely room I think of you night and day Night and day Under the hide of me There's an old such a hungry yearning Burning inside It's torment won't be through Till you let me spend my life Making love to you Day and night Night and Now, Don Amici and Francis Langford as John and Blanche Bickerson with Danny Thomas as Brother Amos in The Honeymoon is Over, written by Phil Rapp. The Bickersons have retired. Mrs. Bickerson lies tense and silent in the darkness, while poor husband John, insomniac extraordinary, engages in another grueling bout with the dread affliction that borders on madness, lethargica profundus. Listen. Nobody would believe what I go through every night of my life. I lie awake for hours listening to that groaning and grunting and whining and giggling and snoring and snarling. I'm sick of it, John. Yeah, me too. Who's doing it, Blanche? <laughs> Must be that lieutenant. You're upstairs. doing it. And you haven't missed a single night since we got married. Why doesn't somebody invent something to wake a person up when they start to snore? They don't have to invent it. I married it. <laughs> oh, you're so funny, John Bickerson. Well, you're not going to enjoy yourself while I suffer. Get out of that silly position and sleep like a normal human being. What difference does it make to you what position I'm in? It makes a lot of difference. You can't possibly breathe, right, the way you're all wound up. Ugh. You've got one knee up against your chin and, and your head is under the pillow and one foot's hanging out of the bed. Ooh. Go on, put that foot where it belongs. If I did, you wouldn't sit down for a week. <laughs> That's right, threaten me. A lot you care that I'm on the verge of a nervous breakdown. My face is full of lines. I've got dark circles under my eyes. My cheeks are hollow. I look worse than an old witch. It's true, isn't it? I wouldn't say that. Why not, John? I'd be awake for the rest of the night. You do think it's true, though, don't you? What's true? I look worse than an old witch. You don't look worse than an old witch. Why do you emphasize worse? All right, you don't look worse than an old witch. That's 
sounds even more horrible. Oh, Blanche, why don't you just relax and go to sleep? Stop worrying about how you look. Every woman worries about how she looks. I suppose you know I spend half my allowance in the beauty parlor. I'll have to raise your allowance. (laughs) Put out the lights, will you? I'm so sick, I don't think I'll live another month. What's the matter with you now? I get terrible dizzy spells and palpitation of the heart. Every few minutes, I get a burning sensation. I think I'm going to dry up. You say it, but you won't do it. (laughs) I'm sick. I know I'm at death's door. Go see Dr. Marvin. He'll pull you through. (laughs) How can you lie there and watch me writhe in agony? Right now, my pulse is going like a trip hammer. Oh, let me see. Oh, there's nothing wrong with your pulse. It's steady as clockwork. You've got your fingers on my wristwatch. <laughs> what time is it? It's half past three. Oh, John, I know I'm going to die. Oh, you're not going to die. Every single time I get a premonition, it comes true. And I've had this dying premonition a half dozen times. Well, it didn't come true, did it? Don't yell at me. Send for the doctor. Oh, you don't need the doctor. I'll handle it. Where's the bourbon? Bourbon? I don't want any bourbon. Now, will you let me help you or not? I've got the greatest cure in the world for your condition. All you have to do is poach two eggs in bourbon. I won't eat eggs poached in bourbon. You don't eat the eggs, you drink the gravy. (laughs) Don't you dare fix me any of your hideous remedies. All you want to do is finish me off. Well, if you don't want me to help you, stop complaining. You wouldn't talk that way to Gloria Gooseby. Now, don't start with Gloria Gooseby. All she has to do is sneeze, and you run up and down looking like Dr. Kildare. The day she fainted from the heat, you were busy rubbing her ankles. Well, you always rub a person's extremities when they faint. Well, you didn't have to be so extreme. (laughs) Why didn't you rub her hands? Leah was rubbing her hands. I can't understand what you see in that hussy. I hate her and you know it. It's those tight slacks she wears. When she walks into a room, her eyes pop out further than yours. Nobody's eyes pop out. (laughs) I mean, my eyes don't pop out at all. If you don't quit harping on Gloria Gooseby, I swear... Go on, I... hit me. You've done everything else. Ah. Sick as I am, maybe I'll have to have an operation. An ambulance will come in the middle of the night and take me away. An emergency. There's no emergency. I might even die on the table. And if I do live, I'll lie there in the hospital in a charity ward. Nobody to visit me, no call. Blanche! Why don't you send some flowers, John? <laughs> Why don't you stop blowing your top? You're no sicker than I am. You're just putting on this act to keep me awake, aren't you? Now tell me the truth. Is it so impossible that I might have an operation? Well, what of it? Thousands of people have operations. It's nothing to be afraid of. You wouldn't hear me squawking like that. Not much. You had to take ether to have glasses fitted. (laughs) Well, I'm I'm very sensitive around the eyes. Oh, Blanche, why don't you put out a light? All right, John. You'd have been asleep a long time ago if you hadn't been for your snoring. Oh, can I help it if I snore? Yes, you can. Dr. Marvin says there's something wrong with your pharynx. You have a very long uvular and it flutters against your palate. Why don't you let him fix it? Okay, I'll have it fixed next week. You say it, but you won't do it. Let him fix it now. What? Go on, get up and let him pull out your palate. Blanche, are you out of your mind? Do you think I'm going to let that broken down doctor hack at my palate? He doesn't hack, he snips. I don't care if he shoots it off with a 22. <laughs> Nobody's going to fool around with my palate. Well, you're going to have to do something, as it is neither of us get any sleep. Well, why don't you have him file your ears off? <laughs> I've never heard of such a thing. I wouldn't argue at all if you'd just be nice for a minute. You married me because you loved me, didn't you, John? Hmm. Wasn't because I had little money, was it? No, no, it wasn't. 
And even if we had our lives to live over again, you wouldn't marry me for my money, would you, darling? I wouldn't marry you for all the money in the world. <laughs> Steve, there you go, starting all over oh, again. Blanche, I'm so sleepy, I don't know what I'm saying. Talk to me in the morning. You said you're going fishing in the morning. Who are you going with? With my boss. Why don't you take my brother Amos along? We're going trout fishing. We don't need any worms. <laughs> don't be so smart. Tomorrow you'll wish you had him with you. I assure you, I'll enjoy my fishing without Amos. You can't fish without a fishing pole. Well, I got a fishing pole. I bought a brand new one yesterday. I lent it to Amos. Well, that's fine. Then he'll be a... What? Amos borrowed your fishing pole. Oh, Blanche, Blanche, he didn't. You wouldn't let that sponging weasel take my brand new rod before I even had a chance to use it. He'll ruin it. He doesn't know how to fish. He isn't going to fish with it. His sink got stopped up and he wanted to clean the drain off. Clean the drain off? That chiseling thief is using my $50 rod for a plunger? It won't hurt it. You'll never catch any fish anyway. I always catch fish. I caught them last time, didn't I? Didn't I? You know darn well I brought home three bass and one smell. They all smell. <laughs> Go to sleep, she says. My whole life is ruined. Cleaning drains with my $50 rods. What's the matter with a piece of wire? Go to sleep, she tells me. <laughs> I'll never sleep another wink as long as... <laughs> Hello. The phone's dead. It's leaking. Put down that bottle of bourbon. <laughs> Be careful of the base on the telephone table. Gosh, I can't see a thing. Hello. I say, is this the peaceful rest home? The peaceful rest home? Brother, have you got a wrong number? <laughs> Jacko, this is Amos. Amos? Hello? Amos, where's my trout rod? Have you got any glue, Jacko? Glue? Oh, Amos, you broke it. You broke a new rod. I've never had a broken rod in my life. Well, don't cry, Jacko. You got one now. <laughs> It was too long anyway. Why did you do it? The rod cost me $50. It's the finest rod made. Ah, cheap stuff. It snapped before I got it halfway down the drain. <laughs> I'll give you the money back, Jocko. I got it right here. Where would you get $50? I sold the rest of your tackle. Oh. Good night, Jocko. That's the end of the world. Let me get back to bed before I explode. Oh, oh, John. Me. John, you didn't break the vase, did you? No, but I'll be hanged if I'm not going to now. John, that vase is a family heirloom. It's been handed down from generation to generation. Well, this is the last generation. Good night, Blanche. This is Toby Reed reminding you, never before dream. Yes, never before dream could any shampoo reveal 100% of the natural luster of your hair. Listen next Sunday for another pleasant half hour with Don Amici, Danny Thomas, Francis Langford, Carmen Dragon, and his orchestra. And now here is Don Amici reminding you there's still time to give and give gladly to the 1947 Red Cross Fund and wishing you good days, good nights, and good luck until we meet again. And that's The Bickersons, starring Don Amici and Francis Langford as John and Blanche Bickerson with Danny Thomas as Amos from March 30th, 1947, as heard on NBC. All of the classic radio shows we present on this series are direct from the master recordings. I have more than 100,000 original radio episodes under license from the owners and estates, and we make them available via digital download or on CD. 
through our Classic Radio Club. By joining the Classic Radio Club, you'll receive 10 superior-sounding classic radio shows sent directly to you each month, along with detailed liner notes and photos of the stars. You'll receive your first 10 classic radio episodes for only $1, and you can cancel at any time. To learn more about the Classic Radio Club, log on to ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. I'll have another comedy episode of The Bickersons for you after this short break. Welcome back to the Classic Radio Theater. I'm your host, Carl Amari. Here's Don Amici, Francis Langford, and Danny Thomas on The Bickersons from April 13, 1947. Good evening. This is Marvin Miller. Several seasons ago, radio listeners were mildly startled by the introduction of one of the most unconventional married couples in microphone history. I use the word unconventional advisedly, considering the pro and con discussions which arose following their first broadcast. My own personal opinion is that this couple is no more out of the ordinary than my wife and myself. Or for that matter, if you'll permit me the liberty, you and your wife. The unconventional couple I'm referring to, of course, is the Bickersons. Tonight, for the first time, we present them in their own half-hour program, an unretouched picture of domesticity. Now, here are Don Amici and Francis Langford as John and Blanche Bickerson in The Honeymoon is Over. As the minute hand of the clock gradually approaches 7 a.m., John and Blanche Bickerson are in their breakfast room, which is also the living room and bedroom of their spacious one-room apartment. Mrs. Bickerson chatters as husband John, ignoring his breakfast, attentively reads the morning paper. Well, why don't you answer me, John? Hmm? If you take your head out of that paper for a minute, you could hear what I'm saying. You always hear what you're saying. You do not. Might as just as well be talking to a stone wall. You never listen to me. Your mind is always a million miles away. Hmm. John? Hmm? I've been signed up to go ten rounds with Joe Lewis at Madison Square Garden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yesterday, the plumber discovered a radium mine under the bathroom sink. Mm. I put a nice big gob of poison in your orange juice this morning. Mm-hmm. Give me $7 to buy a new hat. You don't need a new hat. Funny thing, but the minute I start talking about money, you can hear me fine. I always hear you, Blanche. What'd you say? I asked you why you came home so late last night. I was working, Blanche. I told you I had to work overtime. Pour me some more coffee. That's tea. Did you get paid? I'll get paid. What time did you get home? 12.30. If you got home at 12.30, why were you so late coming to bed? I know for a fact you didn't go to bed until almost 2. I was in the kitchen putting the stuff away. What stuff? What's the matter, Blanche? You know you told me to bring stuff home for the party this afternoon. Your sister Clara's arriving from Chicago today and you told me to bring stuff. Well, I brought stuff. Did you bring potatoes for the potato salad? I brought potatoes. Did you pair them? I paired them. All of them? All except one. It had a big knob on top and I couldn't find a mate for it. I'm it, did I know what you meant, Blanche. I peeled the potatoes and I even boiled them last night. They're in the icebox. Holy smoke, look at the time. Where's my hat? You're wearing it. 
What about your breakfast? What about it? It's sitting there right in front of you, and you never even looked at it. I looked at it. Well, aren't you going to eat it? No, give it to your sister. What's the matter with it? Never saw such stringy oatmeal in all my life. It's not oatmeal. It's chow mein. <laughs> chow mein? Who eats chow mein for breakfast? Well, I don't know what to give you. You won't eat normal breakfast food. You turn up your nose at stewed rabbit. You say you can't stand the sight of enchiladas. And you hate meatballs and spaghetti. What can I give you for breakfast? What's the matter with an egg, Blanche? An egg, that's all. Why can't I have an egg? There's plenty of ducks around. You're the only man in town who eats duck eggs. I don't know where to buy them. Well, don't buy them. I don't like to eat breakfast. Never have an appetite in the morning anyway. I gotta go, Blanche. It's late. Here's a clean handkerchief. John, can't you take the afternoon off? What for? Well, I think it's only proper for you to be here when Clara and Barney and the children arrive. We're the only relatives they've got, and you've never seen them. I'll see them tonight. Can't you come home a little earlier? I'm sure they won't miss you if you take a few hours off. You're not that vital. I know it, but I don't want them to find it out. <laughs> Our job is hanging by a thread now. We should find something more dignified anyway. What do you mean, dignified? I'm getting paid, and that's all I care about. But I don't like to go around telling people that I'm married to a billiard ball salesman. Bowling balls. All right, bowling balls. <laughs> I still think you can do better if you look around. Goodbye, Blanche. John! What's the matter? That's a fine way to leave. Haven't you forgotten something? Handkerchief, cigarettes, my order blank, samples. No, no, I, I got everything. I mean, is that the way to say goodbye to his wife? Just goodbye? Oh, honey, I can't shake hands with you now. <laughs> I've got my fingers stuck in these bowling balls. Oh, goodbye. Did you like the chicken, Barney? Too much salt in it. Oh. Let me take those bones off your plate. How about some more potato salad, Barney? Too many potatoes in it. Isn't it awful to be married to a man like that, Blanche? He won't eat potato salad with potatoes in it. I have to fool him and make it with turnips. Oh, for heaven's sake, Clara. Well, it's certainly good to see you after all these years. Did you have a good trip? Lousy. <laughs> Barney, how can you say that? It was a wonderful trip, and the children loved it. Four of us in an upper berth. Oh, it wasn't bad at all, Blanche. Honest. None of us are big people, and little Ernie slept in the clothes hammock. Two-year-old kid, and she lets him wander all over the train by himself. Well, I couldn't take care of everything, Barney. When the train stopped at Albuquerque, the kid locked himself in the washroom. I wouldn't come out. The conductor was pounding on the window, but that was locked, too. Well, what happened to him? Well, we found him later walking around under the train. <laughs> I still can't figure out how he got there. Did little George behave himself on the trip? Like an angel. He can be an awful good boy when he wants to. He seemed rather pleased to get off at Pasadena and visit with Barney's sister, didn't you, Barney? No. Well, your sister seemed pleased. They should be here pretty soon. How long does it take to get here from Pasadena, Blanche? By train? Yes. Well, John works there and never takes him over 45 minutes. I thought George was going to stay in Pasadena for a while. Well, I thought so, too. But after Eunice took a look at him, she said she'd bring him back this evening. Uh, which one of you two is older? What? Oh, stop it, Barney. He wants to know everybody's age. Well, Clara's my older sister. Didn't you know that, Barney? No, I didn't know that. You look way older than Clara. <laughs> really? That's just his left-handed way of paying me compliments, Blanche. 
Barney, why don't you go back to the apartment and see if Ernie's still sleeping? I'll stay here and wait for George. Okay. I'd better take a little nap myself. I might have to look for a job next week. What's the number of that apartment house? 214. The first apartment on the left. Go ahead. Okay. I'll take them chicken bones for Ernie. He's teething. <laughs> you know, Clara, I'd completely forgotten what Barney was like. He's awful little for a husband, isn't he? Well, he may be small, but he's wiry. Sort of outspoken, isn't he? I'd rather have a man be frank about things than say one thing and mean another. Is John still as short-tempered as ever? Well, he's... Barney used to be that way before the children came. They changed everything. We haven't had a crossword since George was born. Is that so? You'd be surprised what a change would come over John if there was a child in the house. I know. A lot of people have told me that, Clara. Blanche, uh, I was just thinking... That apartment you got for us is rather small for four people. Well, it's the best I could do, Clara, and it's only temporary. Oh, I know, dear, but I... I was just thinking, why don't you let little George live with you for a while? George? We'd be killing two birds with one stone. Our apartment will be less crowded, and there'll be a big change in your married life. Maybe you're right, Clara. I'll call John at the office and tell him we're going to have a baby. Acme Bowling Alley Equipment Company. Could I talk to Mr. Bickerson, please? Not in. He hasn't come off his route yet. W will you please leave word for him to call his wife as soon as he gets there? Okay. Thank you. Goodbye. Ah, oh, for the love of Pete! Look out where you dropped those samples, Bickerson. Oh, I couldn't carry him another minute. Why doesn't that cheap buzzard buy us cases for the darn things? My fingers look like a bunch of bananas. <laughs> Call your wife. She just called here. Yeah. Do any good today? Ah, waste of shoe leather. I can't understand it. Here it is, the height of the Christmas season, and nobody is buying bowling balls. <laughs> Nothing doing, huh? No. Where is he? He went home early. It's been murder here today. Ah, the old man don't bother me. He just lets off steams. Bark is worse than his bite. Well, he bit a few salesmen today. <laughs> so what? They come and they go. I've been here 12 years. Uh-huh. Business has been bad before. Last year, he lined up 10 salesmen, took an 18-pound two-holer, and chalked up a spare. <laughs> I was the only salesman left standing. <laughs> you were, huh? Yeah, I was. He knows a good thing when he sees one. Uh-huh. Uh, here's your pay envelope, Bickerson. Pay envelope? Today isn't payday. It is for you. You're kidding. No, I'm not. You got the axe. Holy smoke. Oh, don't take it so hard. I'll probably be next. Oh, I don't care for myself. It's what my wife is going to say. She'll blow her cork. What for? It's only a job. Oh, you don't understand. She's got her relatives here from Chicago. She's already figured on a Christmas shopping, and I haven't got 50 cents in the bank. Well, I wish I could help you, Bickerson, Tell but... you, I'm afraid to go home and face her. Do me a favor, will you, Marv? Sure. What do you want me to do? Call up my wife and tell her. You want me to tell her you were fired? Yeah, but break the news very gently. First tell her I dropped dead and then gradually work up to it. Uh, let me have paper, will you, son? Quick, quick. Here, here you are. 
excuse me, will you? Uh, pardon me. I'm sorry. Uh, is this seat taken, Sonny? Sonny, is this seat taken? No. Would you mind taking your feet off? Okay. Those packages, too. Huh? Will you please take those packages off the seat? Just throw them on the floor. Okay. Wise little monkey. Uh, where's that help wanted page? Huh? Nothing. Say, accountant, artist, automobile salesman, baker, barber, bartender, bookkeeper. Bartender. Bartender. What'll you have? You mind your own business. Excuse me. You're sitting in my seat. Huh? Oh. Oh, I'm sorry, madam. Uh, your son told me it wasn't taken. He's not my son. And I didn't tell him it wasn't taken either. What? I told him somebody was sitting here and he knocked all your packages on the floor. You told me this seat wasn't taken and you told me to throw the packages on the floor. I did not. You did too. Oh, you ought to be ashamed of yourself trying to blame that little child. You can have my seat, madam. I'm going into the smoking car. Thank you. I I I'm sorry, really, I am. Uh, let me pick up those packages for you. Never mind, I'll get them myself. The very idea. Oh, who did that? He did it. I seen him pinch you. Pinch who? <laughs> What's the matter with you, you little muzzler? You just wait until the conductor comes by here. Sit down here, dear. I didn't like his looks from the minute he got along. Well, I know the type. My husband's a correction officer. What'd you do that for? Huh? Why'd you tell that lady I pinched her? And why'd you tell me this seat wasn't taken? What did you tell me all those lies for? <clears throat> Give me my bubble gum. What bubble gum? I haven't got your bubble gum. You have to. It's stuck to your pants. <laughs> Look at that. How am I going to get that off? Give me my bubble gum. Keep quiet till I get my knife out. I want my bubble gum. Stop pulling at my pants. <laughs> That's just fine. I want my bubble gum. Why don't you give the child his bubble gum? He ripped my trousers. Whoa, he pulled a knife on me. Shut up, you little weasel. <laughs> hey, what's going on here? You're looking for trouble, buddy. Oh, wait a minute. The man's a lunatic. He tried to stab that child. You're out of your mind. Somebody Should have stabbed a little brat at that. <laughs> Kids. No wonder tigers eat their young. John, what happened to you? Your pants are torn. You're covered with dust. Where have you been? I've been calling the office for hours. I got put off the train and I walked all the way home from Glendale. Well, what happened? I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to even think about it. All I want to do is go to bed. Oh, you poor dear. And I have such a wonderful surprise for you. Surprise? Yes, we're going to be the happiest couple in the world. And all because of my sister Clara. What are you talking about? George, come out and meet your new daddy. Well, what do you think of him, John? Oh, no. Go on, Sonny, kiss him. Not me. That's the crook who stole my bubble gum. <laughs> Thank you.
The Bickersons have retired. Blanche Bickerson tosses restlessly in the dark as poor husband John, unstrung by the events of the day and suffering an attack of undulant insomnia or blasters phenomenon, engages in another losing battle with a dread ailment. Listen. sacrifice her youth and her looks to live with a man who rattles himself to sleep like a, a lot of old bones in a bag. What do you think I am, John? Old bag. What? What'd you say, Blanche? I've never been so upset in all my life. Why couldn't the child live with us for a few weeks? What child? George. Don't mention his name. Well, you had no right to send him back to Clara. Clara and Barney are just sick about it. I can well imagine. <laughs> Let me sleep, Blanche. I had him here for two hours before you got home, and he was a perfect angel. Mm. What if he did make a little trouble on the train? A He's a boy, trouble. and all boys are kind of wild. Anyway, how did he know that you were his uncle? What kind of an excuse is that? Well, I'm sure if you just try to understand him, there wouldn't be any problem at all. That's what you think. I don't think I know. I don't think you know either. <laughs> Ed's gone. I'll forget about him. I won't forget about him. And you needn't have made such an exhibition when you hauled him down the street to his mother. Oh. That was no way to carry a boy, John. Well, I used to be a bowling ball salesman. <laughs> Almost got my finger bit off. What do you mean you used to be? Well, did, uh, didn't he tell you? Didn't, uh, did Marvin call you from the office? Nobody called me from the office. What happened? I got fired. Oh, John, what did he do that for? I didn't do it. The boss did it. Well, he must have had a pretty good reason. I felt this coming for a long time, John. You haven't had your mind on your work. Business was bad. How can you say that? Prices are going up every day. Well, nobody's buying. That's not true. I'm buying twice as much as I ever did. Business isn't bad with me. Good night, Blanche. No. If you didn't do any business, it's because you weren't concentrating on your work. You've just lost your ambition. You're not the man I married, John. Whatever happened to your get up and go? It got up and went. <laughs> I'll tell you what happened. You've lost interest in everything except that precious bourbon of yours. Now, just a minute, Blanche. I married a great big corkscrew. I resent that. I don't care. You can accuse me of not being a good salesman or not having ambition or anything else, but drinking is not one of my failures. No, it's one of your few successes. <laughs> the only reason I use bourbon is because the doctor prescribed it. He said I'd stop snoring if I took a jigger of bourbon and two aspirins every night. That's not what you do, though. Yes, it is. It is not. You're six months behind on the aspirin and two years ahead on the bourbon. Well, aspirin gives me a headache. <laughs> bourbon has nothing to do with me losing my job. Then why did you get fired? Because no man can serve two masters. That's right. Blame me. Since when do I boss you around? You know very well I let you have your own way in almost everything I want. You've been running me for years. I have. 
have not. It started right at the altar. When I said, I do, you said, oh, no, you don't. <laughs> How can you lie there and deliberately make oh, up well, such terrible... Oh, well, don't rile me up. You just sympathize with me when I get a bad break. Instead of hounding me, our marriage would work a lot better. Matrimony is a serious thing. You're a fine one to talk about matrimony. You don't even know the meaning of the word. It's not a word. It's a sentence. <laughs> oh, you poor thing. How you suffer. I didn't get such a bargain, you know. There's better fish in the ocean than the one I caught. There's better bait, too. <laughs> then it's true. You don't love me and you never did. Oh, I did, too. What? I mean, I do, too. <laughs> You don't, you don't, you don't Blanche, I do Well, you never say it I say it a thousand times a day Well, say it now I love you Well, you love me as long as you live? Yes Swear Swear you love me as long as you live Cross my heart and hope to die <laughs> That has a double meaning Well, I only meant it one way It's really an effort for you to show any kind of affection for me, isn't it, John? Why are you so ashamed to tell me you love me? I'm not ashamed, Blanche. I just can't seem to convince you. That's all. You know I love you so. So what? That's what I say. Who cares? <laughs> Put out the lights and go to sleep. If only you'd let me know that you appreciate what I do for you. Oh, you don't do so much for me. Is that so? Who cooks for you? I do. You do. Who cleans for you? I do. Who does your laundry? The laundry. <laughs> Only once, and that's because the washing machine was broken. If it wasn't for me, you wouldn't have a clean shirt. I haven't got a clean shirt. You have to. I dusted one off today. <laughs> dusted it off is right. And you press the collar with a curling iron. Besides, I wore it today. Today? What happened to the shirt you wore Tuesday? I wore it Wednesday. And I was going to wear it again Saturday, but I spilled some gravy on it Friday, so I cut the stain out and made a brown collar for my Sunday shirt. Oh, stop complaining. You've got two lovely shirts. One shirt, and it's not lovely. It hasn't even got a shirt tail. You don't need a shirt tail. Just wear your pants higher. I can't wear them any higher. I wear my pants so high now I have to unzip them to blow my nose. voice to Gloria Gooseby. Now, don't start with Gloria Gooseby. Believe me, if you were around her for a little while, you'd cool off in a hurry. I've been around her for hours and I never cool off. <laughs> I mean, I despise Gloria Gooseby and I wouldn't have anything to do with her. And why does she keep staring at you like she's hypnotized? She doesn't stare. Just that she wears those outlandish dresses and they bring out her eyes. <laughs> they bring out yours, too. No wonder all you men gawk at her. All her gowns are strapless and backless. Would you like me to dress like that? Mm. Maybe I should. Wonder how I'd look in a gown that's strapless and backless. Skinless and boneless. <laughs> I'll never forgive you for that remark, John Biggerson. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so tired. I don't know what I'm saying. Why don't you let me sleep, Blanche? Blanche, where are you going? I'm leaving this house and I'm never coming back. Blanche, wait a minute. Come back here. What's the matter with you? It's no use, John. We'll keep on fighting like this. I tried to make our lives more pleasant by bringing little George here, but you wouldn't have him. All right. I'll go get him in the morning. You say it, but you won't do it. <laughs> do it now. What? Go on. Get up and bring George back. Blanche, are you out of your mind? It's four o'clock in the morning. Either you bring George back or I'm leaving. Nobody'd believe this. Where's my clothes? Just throw my kimono over your pajamas. <laughs> they only live down the street, 214. The first apartment on the left. I know I'll wake up and find this is all a bad dream. Go 
Go on, take a flashlight so you don't have to turn any lights on. I'll phone Claire and tell her you're coming. Two fourteen. Where is two fourteen? Wish they'd put some street lights in this crummy neighborhood. Broken down flashlight is no good. Batteries must be dead. Can't see your hand in front of your face. Looking for something? Huh? Oh, hello, officer. Uh, shine that light around a little bit. I'm looking for number two fourteen. Live there? No. No, just looking. Why? Not everybody walks around at three o'clock in the morning wearing a pink kimono and carrying a bottle of bourbon. <laughs> Bottle of bourbon? No wonder it wouldn't light it. <laughs> Dear heaven, I almost threw it away. What's that? I picked it up by mistake. I thought it was a flashlight. Well, it's not a total loss. Will you join me, officer? Uh, no thanks. I'm off duty. 214. <laughs> 214's right on the corner. And you'd better keep moving so you don't catch cold. Yeah, yeah, I'd better wrap this bourbon around me a little tighter. <laughs> First apartment on the left. Hope I don't wake anybody up. Wish I could put on the light. Where is the little deer? Here he is, sleeping like an innocent newborn vulture. <laughs> Well, here goes. Oh, this, this kid is heavier than I thought. Only another ten yards. Pick up a friend. Oh. Was that you, officer? Yes, it's me. Uh, may I ask what you have in the bundle? It's my nephew. I'm bringing him home to my wife. It's a long story, officer, but I assure you, this is nothing anybody would want to steal. Mm-hmm. Well, you better watch how you got those blankets wrapped around his head. He's liable to smother. You think so? <laughs> Thanks, officer. Good night. Blanche, open up, will you? What'd you lock it for? He weighs a ton. Put on the lights. No, it'll wake him. Keep your voice down. What'll I do with him? I've got the cot already in the kitchen. Put him down gently, John. There. There's your new son. You've just become a mother. Are you satisfied? Shh. Go on into your own bed. Now I can sleep. Oh, what a day. Lost my job. Got thrown off a train. I deliver children at 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. Oh, John, must you start snoring as soon as you close your eyes? Snoring? Who's snoring? I'm not snoring. It's that darn kid. That's who it is. George? Yeah, George. Go turn him over on his side. Well, I never. Turn over, George, dear. John! What's the matter? This isn't George. You brought back Barney. Why was I ever born?
That's The Bickersons, starring Donna Michi as John Bickerson, Francis Langford as Blanche Bickerson, and Danny Thomas as Amos from April 13, 1947, as heard over NBC. Stick around. I'll give you our lineup for episode 42 of the Classic Radio Theater after this short break. Next time on episode 42 of the Classic Radio Theater, brought to you by the Bradford Exchange, we'll hear two musical comedy episodes of The Bing Crosby Show. Bing's guests will be Frank Sinatra and Rosemary Clooney, so don't miss it. To reach me and to learn more about the Classic Radio Club, visit ClassicRadioClub.com. Be sure to tune in to our next show. Thanks for listening.